1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From Postcard from the Past and the award-winning Wardour Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is a place where we investigate old picture postcards. Their messages, their images, as they take us from banality to heartbreak and back from Ibiza to the Norfolk Broads. And we explore what it is that causes us to keep hold of these little cardboard rectangles. Each time, I welcome two guests, and it's their postcards that act as small clues to direct us towards memories, mysteries and stories. I'm Tom Jackson. I'm delighted to say that today my guests are two writers... Nige Tassel, and Gail Renard. Gail and Nige, welcome to Podcasts from the Past. Thank you. Thank Sean. Now, uh, Gail Renard is a BAFTA award-winning writer, performer and producer. Um, her work includes various BBC, ITV, Channel 4 comedy and children's series, as well as books, films, radio and stage plays, including uh, work with uh, an alarming uh, place to be, The World of Puppets, Monty & Co., um, and I suppose what drew my attention to, to Gail uh, is her book, Give Me a Chance, uh, based on her her own true story, how she snuck into John Lennon-Yoko Ono's famous Bed-In for Peace um, in Montreal to get an interview for her school newspaper. And well, she'll tell us more, but ended up as the youngest part of the Lennon-Ono entourage for eight extraordinary days. And Gail joins us today bearing a Montreal postmark.
2: Oh, yes, very so, much. Still with you? Yeah, I, gr- I grew up in Montreal. I live in London, have done uh, since I was 20. But it, Montreal made me probably who I was, for better or worse.
1: What's what's, what's the <laughs> worse? Uh,
2: the, well, let's start with the positive. Oh, yes, sorry, I should have said yes. that.
1: What's the better, Gail?
2: <laughs> yes, I'm trying hard here. Uh, Montreal... When I grew up, was bilingual, French and English. So although I was English-speaking, I was equally fluent in French. Uh, And it's wonderful to have two languages, two cultures. That's a very real thing, isn't it? Oh, yes. Well, the bad news is that uh, it became, when I was growing up, like Northern Ireland because uh, of the separatist movement who wanted uh, to separate from Canada by violent means. So there were about 200 bombs good Lord. in a period. And Montreal is a small place, and the English part of it is smaller. So that bit I don't love as much.
1: Right, which I could imagine would be a good reason for you to feel sympathy with the, the, the peace movement that John Lennon was trying to totally, kick off. Totally,
2: totally. And that was a little part of the reason he chose Montreal, but also because he wasn't allowed into America.
1: Right. So just over the border, effectively.
2: Yeah. It was about four or five hundred miles from New York City. So it meant people could cross over because, of course, no internet. Uh, So people would come physically. And that was it was very clever of him to have chosen that.
1: And very fortuitous for you.
2: Yes. Yes. I never thought I would... You know, sort of. Although I saw the Beatles in concert when I was ten. Did you? Yeah, they came to Montreal, and then all touring stopped when the, when the troubles began. Uh, but uh, so I had seen them and screamed and done all that, but uh, I never expected to be near a Beatle, much <laughs> less end up being friends with one.
1: No, who could? Who could ever 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 imagine that? Really. Now, Gail, do you still send postcards?
2: Yes, I do. I love postcards. Uh, very often, as a lot of people do, as thank yous. Yes. And I'll include them in letters if, if, if I'm sending a script or something like that. Although when I did it, when my book came out, uh, I had a stack of postcards that I was sending to people with complimentary copies and uh, until my publisher said, You are using Penguin postcards. We are not Penguin. Will you please stop that? <laughs> I'm sure all publishing
1: houses see themselves as a great brotherhood, surely.
2: (laughs) Uh, They didn't.
1: (laughs) Unbelievable. You didn't have your own. You should have printed your own.
2: Exactly. They did give me sort of slips, to say, with that. And I thought, they're not postcards.
1: Well, you know what to put in your contract for your next book. Yes. Very good. Now, Nigel Tassel, his work has appeared... I could list a load of newspapers, but all the broadsheets you want to to look at, he's written for them... Um, and also various music uh, publications and also football publications. But his books, um, again, covering often those uh, areas, uh, music and sport, include the latest one, which is Whatever Happened to the C86 Kids? Um, now, I, I imagine listeners will be, be familiar with the C86 cassette, which was, you had to send off for it? You had to you had to Send off your your, your little um, cutout coupon. Is that right?
0: That's right. Yeah, you had to send. I think it was two coupons in successive issues. It was it was, <laughs> it, was it was put out by from the enemy. Yeah, and you had to send a two pound ninety nine postal order, which if you were a teenager without a bank account couldn't send a check. You'd have to go down to the post office. Unbelievable. And 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 get get this slip of paper, give them back to you, send it out, and it was a compilation that the enemy used to put together a series of of cassette tapes. Um, Maybe three or four a year that you would send off mail order wise. Um, started in nineteen eighty one with one called C eighty one, with the C representing like a C ninety cassette. Uh, so C eighty one, which was a roundup of music from nineteen eighty one, and then C eighty six five years later. Um, yes, it was a roundup of all lots of lots of skinny skinny boys with electric <laughs> guitars uh, who were slightly too young for punk. Maybe their their older siblings were into punk. Yes, and so they were kind of this. Came out with kind of post-punk uh, floppy indie fringes. era and, yes, very much floppy fringes, stripy t-shirts. <laughs> um, um, you know, God help us if there was a war. Types, you know, really wouldn't 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 be great, great, great in, in conflict. I feel very
1: um, I feel very seen with this actually. You know, stripy t-shirts <laughs> and floppy fringes. I, I, unfortunately, this is entirely my era.
0: It's mine as well, you know. I, I was I was slightly too young for punk as well, so I was seventeen when this came out. Oh, yes. So this is this was my sort of time. So you have bands like Primal Scream, uh, the Soup Dragons, Half Man Half Biscuits, uh, the Wedding Present, Age of Chance, all the bands that John Peel was playing on Radio One. You're, you're on Radio listing 1. the
1: successful ones, of course.
0: They are the successful ones. <laughs> the more interesting part. So what I what I did in the book was was go in search of these these people who were in the early 20s at the time, now in the late 50s, early 60s, to see, you know, some some went on to have huge success, others became driving instructors and teachers and scientists. And and hearing those stories is actually more interesting than the ones who, who did have a taste of rock and roll fame. Yes, I was,
1: I was trying to describe the book to someone. And it, it, to some extent, the whole thing is about education interrupted. It's very often, these are very bright people who, for some reason, they either give up their studies or... Avoid studying altogether. Go and do, follow this dream and then get, pick up their education later often.
0: Absolutely. A lot of them go back into education as mature students because at 17, 18, they thought, let's give the band a go. And if if I have one regret in my life, it's that I didn't give a band a go. Oh no. I had a band I had a band for two hours one afternoon. <laughs> we didn't even come up with a name. That's that's supposed to be that's the fun. That's the thing you're supposed to do first before you even get hold of some instruments. Um but yeah so so people who had yeah education interrupted and what they were helped by then um as as much as John Peel is a guiding light to these bands um so was Margaret Thatcher um with the enterprise allowance which oh, yes. meant that you could pretend you were starting a business i.e. a band wouldn't have to sign on you would just get 50 quid a week for 6 months i think you had yeah. like 6 month checkups that you you know you were on the right part to entrepreneurship with your with your your, your little tinny indie band um and that was a great time for people then to develop creatively and slowly without the pressures of having to get a job to pay their rent, et cetera. you know housing benefit then you know these these are times that we don 't recognize now but um but there were fundamental kind of state support that that helped that helped the creative industries flourish at the time
1: very good well frankly, if you had a band for two hours i'm surprised you didn't make it onto the compilation but uh, <laughs> we'll probably sure we'll, we'll hear a bit more about your journey as you you kind of went around the country looking for. Uh, balding middle-aged men um, <laughs> now no, you you're on the line today you're not in the studio with me but um you, you you're there you, you come with a a brand upon you of a, of a zip code 554 five, let me just see 55 five? Five,
0: five, 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 which what, is anyone who knows anything about zip codes knows that's a, a very precise part of southeast minneapolis wow um, okay little neighborhood Butting, it's, it's it's where the University of Minnesota is, the Minneapolis campus, uh, butts up right against the, the, uh, the Mississippi River. Um, and um, as we'll probably hear later, I didn't do a lot of travelling in my childhood. I didn't take a lot of holidays. Um, but I was an exchange student when I was 21. I went over there sort of first time on an aeroplane. Oh. Um, and that was a really great time because I, I was there to study. I didn't have to do too much. Oh, um, this
1: is where you landed, then? You were in Minneapolis?
0: So I was in Minneapolis it's for terrific. a year, but, but as we, we'll hear later, um, travelling around a hell of a lot, far more than I was in lecture halls. Um, right. I was on Amtrak trains doing 20,000-odd <laughs> miles around the country. <laughs> which was unleashed. a better That was a better education, quite frankly, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it's all education, isn't it? That's the thing.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: Very absolutely. good, very good. So you weren't hanging around Paisley Park?
0: Um, I did go past Paisley Park once or twice. I... I I was, I, you know, I, the the courses I did out there didn't count towards my degree back here, so it, it was almost like a year off. As long wow. as you do the minimum, I took I took academic courses in skiing, and <laughs> uh, I got, the guy who gave me a lift to skiing, he went to school with Prince's drummer. That's a, that's pretty much as close. Hey, that's I used to go good. to Prince, and Prince he opened. When I was out there, he opened uh, his club Glanslam as well, so we went there a few times. Um, but yes, more sort of uh, bands like the Replacements at the time and the gear daddies were my big favorites out there but yes really great scene and being the biggest city between chicago and seattle it meant that every touring band stops in town so with some great venues venues like first avenue which was in uh in prince's film purple rain of course
1: yeah and have you been back as a responsible adult
0: i have yes no i my wife sort of in the late towards the end of the 90s um Had to go there for a business trip. Had to go to a conference, so I kind of latched onto uh, her hotel room. (laughs) Just got flight up, and then and then wandered round. And it doesn't it doesn't seem any different. A college campus in the sort of late eighties, probably very similar to one in the late seventies or one in the late nineties. You know, this kind of uniform of uh, American college kids, a flow of young people, all all young people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full of full of the joys of spring and playing frisbee a lot in the sunshine. Brilliant.
1: There you go. Some things remain, uh, you know, across the ages. Now, Nigel, when did
0: you last send a postcard? Oh, God, I'm such a poor guest, Tom. I, you know, I'll see you later then. Have, <laughs> all, all your guests have suitcases full of the things. No. Um, I read, it's, I'm not, really, it's not obligatory. I'm not a sentimental person. I'm not from a sentimental family. I have very few photos of me growing up. Oh. Um, very few. I just haven't um, collected ephemera. Never been a collector. My, right. my sister in law. Attic's full of the stuff. She's got an entire garage full of the stuff. Wow. Um, But until, you know, when when my mum sort of finally departs, I'll probably be handed a box of photos of people I know not who they are. And then when my time's up, I'll probably do the same to my kids, who'll have even less idea. That's funny, Um, because
1: you spend your time trying to draw the connections for other people. Maybe you need to do some more work on yourself.
0: Well, yes, this is, this is, yeah, this is displacement theory, isn't it, that I'm, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm busy thinking of other people. It's like people who are, who, who are builders, their houses are tips, whereas yeah. the houses they build are, are immaculate. Well, so I cannot recall when I last sent a postcard. I'm going to say 1996, New Orleans, um, I'm going to say that, that we sent one back to my wife's mother, let's say that.
1: Very good. And who can disprove it? No one. <laughs> exactly, there. Yeah. Very good. Well, look, before we... Um see and hear the cards that Nigel and Gail have brought along. And, and, and despite your protestations, you have got cards with you. I
0: have got um, I have them for other uses. Exactly. Say, yeah.
1: um, a quick one of mine, and this is um, like a postcard from the past card, like I do um, on Twitter and in, and in my book. So it's an old card from which I've selected just a part of the message. So let's start with this. This is um, a card of Clevedon. Clevedon in Avon, is that right?
0: Oh, okay. uh, North Somerset now, North yes. Somerset, yes. That's, that's literally just down the road from me. It's a good, oh, there you go. There, well, you, yeah. know,
1: you know the windy trees that they have, or they used to have, they still have them? The trees on the front um, that have blown at an angle?
0: Yes, I, I suspect they do. I haven't been down there for a long time. Well, they, yes. they won't
1: have straightened up, I know that. <laughs> um, so this is, this is a card from 1966, I think. A little bit hard to read, a little bit obscured. Um, cost threepence to send, uh, and it's a Dennis... Um, uh, produced by Dennis, who publishes from Scarborough. And it shows a, a, the front with those trees at an angle, and a little bandstand and a woman sitting sort of rather carefully positioned in the foreground <laughs> as a little bit of interest.
2: The trees look like a man's toupee flying off in the wind.
1: <laughs> there you go. You, who, who writes the comedy around here? Very good, yes. I, I'd never seen it like that. It does look like they're being blown there and then, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. The dynamism is real. Uh, and this card went to Woking in Surrey that's how they know a little and it was sent to Mr and Mrs Hutchinson though stupidly or in, inadvertently the person who sent it has written Mr and Mrs Hutchinson and then had to put in via a little arrow as a sort of <laughs> superscript um, we've all done that uh, and slightly insulting to get someone's name wrong as well as a bit, bit of a pity and this was a strange the message just intrigued me the way these things sometimes done it says um, Dear P.V. some initials I missed you last Friday Maybe you thought I'd gone already, but not to worry. I hope to see you when I get back. Also, the hairdresser's father, very keen to meet you. And I was just intrigued about the hairdresser's father. Um, You know, no idea why or who or what, but that piece of information had to be passed on to um, P.V.
2: I think it sounds a bit Smiley's people.
1: Uh, yeah, could be. Could be. Could we could be looking at a... Um, but if it was John le Carré, it's not the message. The message is a bluff. It's the picture on the front that yes. sends the secret message. So if, I think if, if it was a religious image, it meant meet soon or something. There's oh, a, OK. Yeah, that was the, the protocol. Do, do another quick one. This is a uh, an, an image of an interior, a Victorian interior that's been sort of staged for the photo with a rather fancy... It a sort of piano that looks like it's part of a sideboard or a sideboard that's got a keyboard?
2: Harmonium, I think.
0: Oh, is it a harmonium? Could ah, it... I was wondering whether it was a pianola, you know, when the player piano is well, the play be nice. sounds. No. But yes, harmonium sounds good yeah, to it's me, Yeah, it's more harmonium. Because it's smaller?
2: Uh, Does it have it has, bellows? Yeah. It harmonium? Uh, yes, it has,
1: yeah. Or do you pump uh, it? I think,
2: or it's some sort of organ. It's not a player piano. Uh, no, it's not. I can say now I come from a piano family, so <laughs> I know. Fantastic,
0: there <laughs> yeah. we go. No bluffing, it's got no little... bluffing. It's got little white buttons above the keyboard as well. More oh, like an which, organ. Organ style. Yeah, like an organ would, yeah. Um, it's been very ornately done. Um,
1: so, you know, just for the, for the
0: um,
1: listener, it's it's it's, it's a sort of riot of patterns in that Victorian, late Victorian kind of style. Um, anyway, this card is actually a Victorian parlour reconstructed um, in the Dundee City Museum. I think it's probably 1973... From the rather faded uh, postmark, sevenpence uh, sent to Castleford in West Yorkshire, and um, well, see so this is sent, it's sent by uh, someone, Leslie Ann, and it says, "Dear Grandpa and Grandma, I got this card for you when I went on my school trip. It was smashing. We went camping to Killin and Oban a few days last week, but it rained all the time." Guess what? I haven't been to school because I've got German measles and they have called me Spotty Muldoon. Love from Leslie anne And it says, My daddy has bought mummy a new three-piece suite. So it's something for everyone in that one, really. It's a lot into a postcard there. Yes, page, it is, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. 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 Actually, not a bad writing lesson, that. Three yeah. different subject matter, bang, 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 no mucking about.
2: I feel we know Leslie Ann now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Unfortunately, and Spotty Muldoon is a, <laughs> it's a character rate, waiting to have a story written
2: around yes. them, definitely.
1: Is, isn't that... Is it a Spike Milligan thing? I think I think it might be Spotty uh, Muldoon. Okay. I think it right. might be a... Muldoon sounds very Milligan to me. Mm. But I could be wrong. And If anyone knows better, I would definitely like them to contact the podcast. Anyway, I should also remind you, everyone listening pictures of these cards are going to be on the blog, which is um, postcardfromthepast.co.uk. So you'll be able to see the piano that thinks it's a harmonium with organ stops, the trees that look like um, a a toupee being blown away in the wind, uh, and and all the other cards we discussed today. Um, Now, Gail and Nigel, you've prepared, done your homework, which is really good. Um, Nigel, let's start with you, and let's start with your first card. Sh- shall we start with the um, promotional card that you've got in front sure. of you? Because it sort of yeah. ties in a bit with everything else.
0: It does, you know, and I've mentioned how we didn't really go to holidays when I was a kid. I'd be dispatched to my to my grandmothers on the on the Kent coast. When I did actually write postcards, I would always write one back to my parents. Normally a picture of the Romney Hythe and Dimchurch Railway. Which Excellent choice. Close. Yes. Uh, was, and, and I wouldn't have been as Anywhere, half as informative as the one you just read <laughs> out. You know, it would be. We had chips, played the slot machines, had chips again, and oh. that would be pretty much the extent of my literary good uh, me. ambitions then. Um, and so, so post- postcards for me—the ones that I do have—I've tended to collect over the years and use them as wall arts. Yes. So, I, my postcards don't have any nice messages on the back. They are. They are. Purely functional, and the the two I've I've got today both have remnants of blue tack in the corners oh, on the on the reverse. Badge of honour. Uh, so they, they've done service in various kind of home offices Brilliant. over the years. Brilliant. Um, and this one, yes, it's 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 postcard, not as a means of communication in that's going to be sent to someone, but uh, in terms of promoting something. So. Um, this is a card I collected when I wrote my very first book um, back in 2013. In fact, it's it's from a couple of years earlier than that. Um, my first book was a book called Mr Gig, which found me getting back into live music. Um, I'd moved to the country, we'd had kids. I've got a live music background from early in my life, being a roadie and, and a promoter and various things. Um, and live music, to me, seemed to have changed. Suddenly, bands used to go on tour to sell records, and now... The other way around now the the live circuit was where the money was in the age of the download and and the free you know everyone getting getting stuff uh, surreptitiously for free online so i went I went off in search of live music in all its forms um <laughs> one one is you know not a very credible way is is off to see tribute bands yes. cover acts um so I went to see a band called The Smiths indeed as any detective worth their sort will work out that's a tribute band to the Smiths. Um, so work. this is a post. This is a postcard. Um, they played the Meet Murder's Meters Murder album, which came out in 1985. So this is 2010. This comes from it's the 25th anniversary tour, which makes it sound as though they came up with the the, the album themselves. Yeah, but so they, they, the they 20...
1: anniversary is of, is of the record, not of the tribute band.
0: The, not of the band. No, it's the it's the record. Which and it also you know it's got a big star on it. 25th anniversary tour, as though. The band had been around that long and they yeah. made this record as well. They didn't either. Um, but what this is, is... So you've got, you've got the, the photo on the cover of the album is a, a very young uh, American soldier in Vietnam. and uh, It's a photo on the actual cover. Here they've done it as an illustration, presumably to get around to copyright, quite definitely. Um, and then we have a list of 23, uh, 23 dates that the band are doing in support of this. Um, and you, it, the interesting thing is it's all Friday and Saturday nights because oh. very few tribute bands, it, it's, it's not a full-time job. So a lot of them, you know, they're just doing it. They do the regular job. They leave work at 4 o'clock on a Friday, yes. hit down the motorway, you know, and uh, and then they're, they're becoming the Smiths, you know. Um, so I went to go and see the, Smith, the Smiths indeed in Cardiff, um, had a lovely chat with them, and just understanding the motivation for them. and And it was great. The... Uh, the rest of the band didn't impersonate the uh, uh, the musicians in the right, schnitz, visually, but the guy the guy impress- impersonating Morrissey had to be Morrissey. Yeah, I you know, you couldn't you just do. do it as a straight. You couldn't just be a straight kind of pub singer doing that. Um, and he was he was excellent during during between songs. He would have Morrissey's inflections and a kind of you know quips to absolutely down to a T, which is remarkable because his name is Jürgen and he Gosh, comes from Belgium. Good lord, which is brilliant. Um, that, so that, this that, is, sounds, that
1: sounds like a Smith lyric. It does, doesn't you know, it? It's it, the it, it totally girl does. from Luxembourg.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, I was a singer called Jorgen from Belgium. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm sure I've heard appalling, that. Appalling impression there. Sorry. <laughs> um, so this is kind of a memento for me, but also the interesting thing of a flyer for a, an event or something, which is very ephemeral. Yes, you know, chucked on pub tables in record shop doorways. Is on a postcard. Yeah. So it, it no no one's gonna then chuck that away in the nearest bin. They go, Oh actually that'll look, look quite good in my yeah, kitchen or the something. The sheer aesthetic
1: quality of it is, is, is what gives it life at the time.
0: Exactly. And then every time you go to the fridge, if you've stuck it with a magnet on the fridge, <laughs> you're going, Oh god, yeah, I should go and see that band sometime. I've heard good things about them. I'll put, so I think I'll I'll are put really, that really
1: ha- put that ham away and <laughs>
0: Because <laughs> meat is murder. Yes, that carcass, that carcass of meat. That uh, yes, yeah. Um, but I think I th- that's a really interesting way, and, and you know, and for that reason, I've held on to it. You know, I would have, were this just a paper flyer at the time, I'd have taken it for research purposes to write that particular chapter, and then probably got rid of it. But the fact that it is, you know, it's a nice illustration, um, lovely colours on it, and and it, you know, from me saying I'm not a sentimental man, this does take me back to that You're that first book. It. And, you know, all my books since have had an element of travel and I think it's probably because there was a lack of travel in my childhood right. that, that that's the way I've gone and and that first book did all right and that, that was the gateway to doing uh, another eight so far. And the Smiths are kind of
1: the sort of chimera of an elephant in the room of your new book, really, of, of the C86 eight, kids, in that they're the ones who sort of got away and they were on top of the Pops... And that sort of guitar sound, that kind of introspective thing, really does sort of hang over the ones who didn't quite make that impact, surely?
0: Absolutely. You know, I think everyone sees that, oh, the Smiths can do it. And the Smiths were a couple of years ahead of these other bands. And, you know, they're on top of the pops by by late 83, early 84, um, that you could do it. And they were on an independent label. They are on Rough Trade at the time. And they're having top ten hits. And so, lots of bands probably thought, "Oh, look, we don't have to compromise our values. We don't have to wear glow snoods or whatever, and you have highlights in our hair in order to actually have that success and play music that's credible and that, that, that the cool kids like as well." You know, um, and a lot of these bands did. Appear, they appeared on kids' telly at the time. Yes, um, you know, on the Wide Awake Club and on Hold Tight, the, the old uh, ITV kids show. The, the, for them, there was there was no. No difficulty with being kind of a John Peel late night favourite, but also, you know, playing in front of a load of kids at Alden Towers on the whole tight.
1: Some some of these, I mean, it's, it's kind of telling that you call them the C86 kids, because some of them kind of held on to childhood in a way. There was some, some of the, I know that the, a lot of musicians didn't like it, but there was often a bit of a fey, slightly sort of childish feel about them. Even the names yeah, and you'd... the.
0: Yes, you know the, the the kind of second wave that came after the C eighty six became a kind of sub genre itself of indie music, or even the point at which indie music itself was defined. And as soon as you've you've put a date on a scene, it's outdated yes. straight away. So it was a straitjacket for a lot of people, who you know took a long time to kind of escape its its kind of negative connotations because as soon as much as it was current and popular, it soon went out of favour just as quick as it had arrived. Um, and so a lot of them were kind of left in limbo and, you know, there was a second wave of, you know, wearing hair slides, lots of cardigans, <laughs> you know. Yes, cardigans. Not Not quite flowers in the hair, but, you know, get, getting that way. You know, names like the Jasmine Minks and, and, and stuff like that. You know, it, this this wasn't punk. This was very much the, the punks, you know, softer, gentler younger brothers and sisters. There's 30 or so people in the book... All happy, all happy to kind of, and I always went to go and see them on their home territory. What they do now, as well as much yes, as possible. Yes, yes, I think that's um, the interesting
1: bit in a way. When you, when you, those are the bits that I enjoyed most. When you sort of revealed what,
0: how they earn a crust, really. Exactly. You know how they. I'm always interested, far more on the descent. It's, if a band's had its peak, it's the descent and what they do as they come yes. down the mountain, rather than on their way, up, their yes. way, their way up. And someone's already written that first bit anyway, so. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, yes, I went in search of them now and uh, had lots of fun doing it.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Very good. Now, I think we're going to stick with um, ambitious young men playing music. Um, Gail, what's the first card that you've got on your doormat?
2: Well, this is a Beatles postcard. Oh, and good. as you can see, I will read the back of it. Uh, it's, it is pristine at the back, but I will read what it uh, what was printed? One of Ringo's first appearances with the Beatles at the Cavern Club, Matthew Street, Liverpool, 1962. Now, this is a sp- special card to me because I only just realized I had it. Nice. <laughs> and also, um, I have I have a lot of Beatle things left over from my fan days just right. as well because I'm writing a new Beatles book and I'm, that's going to be in it as well. Good. But. Uh, this was part. This was only sent as part of the things to members of the British Beatles fan club. Right now, this is where it's. A, you, as I said, I grew up in Montreal, and there was a Canadian Beatles fan club, which nothing personal was rubbish. You, you paid. <laughs> you paid your money. You got your card, and that was that was your lot. Oh, really? And I heard of all these fantastic things because the Beatles were very generous to their British fans, including. At Christmas, they recorded a Christmas flexi-disc. Of course, yes, yes. yes. For, for, For many years. Yep. And I thought, I want this. And fortunately, I have a cousin living in London. Good work. And even at the age of 11, I had the sense of mind, to ask her to join the fan club for me. On your behalf? Yes. So My my behalf, her address. Yes, very good. (laughs) So everything got sent to her, and she very kindly passed it along. Uh, And I hope I've been grateful ever since.
1: So you would get packages in Montreal that had come from, I guess, the London office to your cousin, who was where? Yep, Uh,
2: who was in London. In
1: London, and then out to you.
2: Yep. And it was fantastic, because I have a set, which I, again... I'm only discovering it's my game, What's in the House. Uh, I've got, I think, the complete set of the Beatles Christmas flexi-discs in perfect condition because I was one of those kids, and probably still are, that took care of my things. So this postcard is one of that, and there was a set of them. Uh, But so it symbolizes to me that I was good at getting around rules very early on in life, Uh, but also... Yeah, that's I, the producer in you, definitely. Uh, I think that was just the fan as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, if you want it, you'll make it happen.
2: Well, that's it. The, I think the US Marines have an expression, see the hill, take the hill. OK. And that, I <laughs> so think, that wasn't it, referring to fan club records, though, was it? <laughs> uh, but I think that's been my rule in life, that... Actually, and this sounds heavy now, but when I was at the bed in, Timothy Leary was there. uh, And everyone was very, very nice to me. And we had a lot of time because it was eight days in a hotel room or suite. And he said, which was very 60s, Leary said, you know, you can can do anything you want because you are divine. I think he meant in the universal sense of divinity. But there was a feeling in the 60s growing up that you could do anything. So, you know... And nothing personal. Montreal was a bit boring, uh, aside from bombs which came. So uh, I fell in love with the Beatles. I first heard them when I was 10. And it was like, I mean, it's everything they said. The world changed from black and white to technicolor. Uh, The lights went on. Because I had an older brother who had listened to Bobby V and Bobby Rydell and all that sort of thing. And I thought, okay, but is that it? Mm -hmm. And then... Didn't connect. No. And when I first heard The Beatles, I went, what is this? (laughs) Even at that tender age. And uh, it was before they broke on Ed Sullivan and all the rest. Right. And thanks to my wonderful cousin, she had sent me one of the the, the first Love Me Do EP. Wow. And, uh, so you you were ahead of the game in yeah, your community very much. She also sent me a Cliff Richard EP, and no no disrespect to Cliff, but he didn't do the, it the for me. a bigger name at the time, I <laughs> thought. Yes, and she probably preferred him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, he he was old. He, to, to me, he seemed old by then. Yeah, yeah. Because also looking at the postcard of the Beatles, one always has to remember. That how young they were, yeah, yeah. because at this point, George was probably, what, 19? Paul was 20? The others yeah, were 21? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is about just before you know, Love Me Do hit.
1: It's the confidence of youth, isn't it? You can see it.
2: Well, they'd they'd spent a couple of years going back and forth to Hamburg yeah, yeah. and playing Every Hour God Sends. So they were blooded in that sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was not a manufactured boy band. No, no. These were, I mean, if you saw McCartney do his gig at Glastonbury uh, <laughs> this year, three hours yeah, without... Yeah. Never mind without a stop, without a loo break, without a zip of water. I yeah. couldn't have done that.
1: <laughs> no, I couldn't do it watching it. So. No. so On television, I might
2: add. Yes. Uh, so the the Beatles were always very, very special to me. Um and it's a, ni- it's a nice souvenir to have for all the reasons. And it's pristine on the back and still. And
1: this this was an exclusive for the fan club, this yes. So oh gosh, There was one
2: didn't... of three. Wow. But this one, I thought, showed it. And also it's nice because if you notice, uh, Ringo's drums have, it says on his drums, it's a very jerry-made, somebody wrote or used sticky tape oh, to yeah. put Ringo star. Ringo
1: Starr, with the, the blob instead of the O. Yes. Yes, it's, the branding isn't complete yet. <laughs>
2: No and they're in the cabin they don't have their suits no, they're so sweaty it's... Yeah and it's not and John's long John's kind
1: of have... making some joke to Ringo it's back of his head yes. isn't it yeah. It's a very candid shot it's not a press shot in a proper sense No
2: I mean there was no press then it right. would have been you know, whether it would have been Brian by then because they're actually dressing alike. Yeah, they've got the outfit, they? Uh, but no no jackets. But have you ever been in the cavern?
1: I haven't. But is, is it genuinely still there? No. no.
2: It's the cavern. It's,
1: it's rebuilt, isn't
2: it? It's, you can't believe it's not the cavern. Okay. Uh, the cavern is now, the original cavern is now part of the Mersey Tunnel uh, right. for the train, for right. Mersey trains. But over the road is another dank cellar. Right, that'll <laughs> that, do. And you really do it's i mean I do recommend going to it because you get the atmosphere, but also it was I think Epstein described it as a i mean a cellar full of noise exactly. and, and sweat yes, yes. and that's exactly what it is, but the energy that these four had must have bounced off the walls. Yeah, yeah. So it's not long before Ringo got his Ludwig, his Ludwig drums that said the Beatles, and they were in their matching suits. But they have the Beetle haircut. Well, Ringo doesn't have the Beetle haircut no. yet.
1: But he's got a very odd haircut, a lot of mm. hair,
2: basically. Basically, I think he didn't have a haircut. No. Uh, but... Uh, if, he,
1: if he had a quiff, it's collapsed.
2: Yes.
0: Maybe that's the sweat.
2: Yeah. They're, they're on the edge yeah. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, who yeah. they became. Transitional moment. Yeah, which is...
0: One, one thing I noticed as well, um, you've, you've got Paul, you've got George, you've got John, all in their waistcoats. Yes. Now, because of the way that Paul and George are in this picture... You can't see Ringo's arms, no. so you can't see the white shirt. So it almost looks like he's wearing a dark school jumper. Yeah, I know with what that mean. haircut, <laughs> he's got his tie is so far down; it's got at least a, at least one or two buttons of his shirt undone. And the fact that he's got his drum kit with his own name—it looks like he's just been. Oh, our drummer's gone away. Oh, I've got some drums, and he's run home from school, yeah. brought them in. He because he he looks really unfeasible. I mean, they all look unfeasibly young, but but just just the way that the the. How they're, how they're standing on stage, it makes it look as though he's he's not part of the front three. He's mm. like a an interloper who's just kind of appeared.
2: You're very right, because it would have been around this time that they were recording Love Me Do. And I, I sound so nerdy that I know all this, yeah. but I've just been researching again from the book. Uh, but uh, it was still Pete Best when they recorded Love Me Do until they realised this isn't working. So Ringo really was brought in quickly and they they but didn't did, they leave ringo off the recording in the end anyway yeah but he was in the other uh he was in the, the b-side and right. the other things but they did say the moment they played with ringo because he he's such an incredible drummer yeah uh that they knew it was right they yeah. that they all came that's when they became the beatles so it's nice to have the moment before
1: it's, it's fantastic. I, for people who don't know it, just very briefly, I think you, you've just got to outline for us how you ended up spending eight days a week, spending eight days with John Lennon, because this is, you know, this is not a normal thing to happen to people.
2: No. Well, as I said, I grew up in Montreal and I heard on the radio John and Yoko had come montreal and you, you, my first thought was why <laughs> <Is> <laughs> voluntarily
1: sixty nines
2: uh yes yeah. and because not a lot happened in montreal and i thought i knew where they were staying in a hotel downtown and i thought you know run down da- montreal isn't that big run downtown grab a bus and just have a look you know maybe i could catch a glimpse of them and of course already the fans were surrounding the hotel and I thought, no chance. And then what they very helpfully did was they put a sheet outside their window with love and peace or something. Oh, like so, a
1: demo kind of thing, like a protest sort of sign. Yep.
2: Yeah, so I could see, I, I could count and I could count how many floors up they were and uh, sneaking into the hotel and dodging, get got onto their floor, waited for the guard to go for a sec Knocked on the door and Yoko answered. Because that's the miracle. Yes, it is. So many oh, people totally. would have wanted to do it. But yeah.
1: that's the bit where you actually made it happen.
2: It was... Yeah, I mean, I still don't believe it. And <laughs> uh, and Yoko answered and I just quickly... Can I have an interview for my school paper? And to my greater surprise, she said, yes, come in. Wow. And greater still was... I was standing with John Lennon and you go... Okay, um, but we hit it off right away. Uh, John and I shared a sense of humour, which was lovely, and also he was starving, and I had a chocolate bar. <laughs> uh, so that—that's
1: a good reporter's trick, isn't it?
2: It is. In Have Canada, in Canada, you don't go out. My handbag still is packed for every eventuality oh, in case okay. of blizzard. Right, right, right. Uh, so um, we hit it off, and we did the interview which was the best interview my school paper ever got. I bet it was. Uh, Better than the hockey team. Uh, (laughs) Not to hockey lovers. And, um, you know, we got to talking, and it's a long story, but it ended with them asking if I wanted to stay for all eight days to help out.
1: Amazing. Just just one of those things that you can't ever imagine happening.
2: No, but with my mother's permission, obviously. Good. Uh, But... uh, yeah, front row seat to rock history. Just, yeah. just to be there and be, be taken seriously as a sixteen-year-old uh, and as a woman, because yeah. I was still a girl. And they were, you know, it, it, they were, they were, all of them. It was a great time. I was very lucky.
1: And they were as supportive as you would have hoped.
2: Yes, totally. That's and, fantastic. Yeah, and we stayed in touch after as well. So very uh, good. I mean, I learned so much from John that I still use. Brilliant, brilliant. Yep, even just in... Because I was chair of the Writers Guild of Great Britain and now I'm I'm treasurer. I finally found out where the money is. But, <laughs> uh, you know, organising, John taught... The Bedin was all about organisation yeah. and marshalling
1: troops. I was thinking about it the other day, having read your book, I was thinking that uh, people are very interested in the moment about... How you work with the media, how you create events, how you make mm. things happen, how you gain attention. I was thinking of that—the uh, stunt that um, Joe Lysett was oh, doing yes. recently. It's just interesting how you kind of try and capture the moment or, or catch people's imagination. And, and I think if you were if you were writing the history of PR events or p- protest events or events that capture Lennon has a chapter for himself, I
2: think. Definitely, he was he was the Don Draper of the sixties as well. He, I mean, but it was all carefully worked out. John was a genius, uh, and people don't give him credit. He didn't just people go, oh, he, they were lying in a bed for all eight days. It was all worked out.
1: It sounds hellish from the book. Is that by the end? It sounds uh, really quite.
2: It got stressful. Uh, yes, it was, uh, which is why I didn't, you know, sort. I thought this is fine, but. I'm going now. Yeah, the
1: tranquility uh, kind of just disappeared yeah, as the go, week went by.
2: I'll go back to my life, uh, but it worked. The whole thing was it worked. Uh, you know, they had a, a march on Washington. There was a oops, a huge peace march, march on Washington uh, in December of that year with a half a million people singing, give peace a chance.
1: Yeah, create an anthem. That's a trick, isn't it? That's that's a big part of it.
2: Well, that's what John wanted to do. He said he wanted to create an anthem that would last for all times. And he did. And that's part of my thank you, is to keep his message, you know, John and Yoko's peace message out there, and also remind people about why it was done and his anthem.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, there's there's far too much to talk about about that book in this podcast. I would say, if you want to hear, to understand... Gail's story. Get get the book. Give me a chance because she takes it through in a very straightforward way through the eyes of this young teenager um, as this kaleidoscope of events unfolds in front of her with Lennon, Ono, Timothy Leary, Allen Ginsberg, all, Patula Clark, all yes. kinds of people turning up. It's it's um, I, I recommend it. Right, one more quick card from me. Um, this is. Um, black-and-white card. We're going from the sublime to the ridiculous, but I'm not afraid to do that. This this has a nice um, deckle edge, you know, and the, the edge is all waffly and um, um, sort of uh, in and out like a wave. Uh, it's a nice image uh, of, of Bournemouth. It says, The Pier Approach and Bay, Bournemouth, black-and-white card, 1959. We're going back a while. Uh, sent to Ilford in Essex. And... It was written by someone called Margaret. And she's writing to the girls. Now, I think the girls might be at school or there's some school friends. Uh, My eyes always light up when I see cards written by um, teenage girls or young girls to their friends because they're always the sort of cheekiest ones. Boys at that age didn't send postcards, so I don't see them. But the girls, you you always get something sort of playful and then sort of muck about a bit. So she says, the weather has changed for the better, and I've caught the sun quite a bit. My back, arms, and face are covered in small sun blisters. So, uh, what we would now call serious sunburn, but anyway, mm. she called it sun blisters. She says, I managed to cover those up on my face with makeup. My poor feet itch all the time, as they also have caught the sun. And all I do is scratch, 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 scratch. Sheila M, as you know, I said I'd phone you on Sunday morning, but it may be about two after dinner. If this doesn't suit you, write here and tell me. As in the morning, I must have a bath and wash my hair as I'm going out after dinner. So there you are, Margaret uh, (laughs) filling in the girls on every bit of her skin complaints and her plans for the day.
2: Yeah. It's quite nice that she scheduled her bath.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do that. <laughs> I can't see you next month. <laughs> I'm having a bath. So many days in advance, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. well, it may be if she's in a guest house. She may have had to book it, actually.
2: Can I have a bath tomorrow morning? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. yeah
2: but mean, also washing one's hair, especially, if, you know, if one had long hair or, in her case, had had to set her hair in the 50s. Maybe. That was a big deal to set it and dry it. Uh, so, good luck. I hope, I hope her sun. I was going to say, I hope her sunburn. It sounded carcinogenic, so I hope yeah, she I hope was she survived. all right. Yes. Yeah,
1: I, mean, um, I do find on these old cards that sunburn and suntan are used interchangeably. Um, uh, people nowadays, we're very convinced sun t- sunburn is a really bad thing. We think sun, suntan is quite a bad thing. But um, they, they just say, oh, I'm, I'm hoping I'll sunburn. No, you're not. <laughs> it's horrible if you get burned. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Podcasts from the Past, the postcard podcast. My guests today are Nigel Tassel and Gail Renard. Now, here's a surprise. We've received a postcard. Uh, It's a picture of the oldest chemist shop in England. (laughs) Who knew there was a chart of of the second oldest, third oldest? Anyway, this is the oldest chemist shop in England, which is in um, Naresborough. And this card says, uh, The mystery voice... Was the voice of Douglas Fairbanks Jr.? Uh, he said in this interview when he was asked if he had wanted to follow in his father's footsteps as an actor. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Wall, that's the wrong answer.
2: Aww.
1: On with the postcard stories. Now, Nigel, what's the second card you've got for us today?
0: I, so I can smell fish. One. <laughs> yes, yes. If this was a scratch and sniff postcard, <laughs> it, it wouldn't be that pleasant. Oh, if only, um, if only. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, this is no message on the back. Again, bought by me for a bit of wall art, blue tack remnants on the back. Um, this is a, a lovely black and white shot uh, of a street view in New Orleans, a um, place I've been visited several times and, and, and loved intensely, um, of the Broadview Seafood um, outlet. Uh, which boasts boiled crayfish, live crayfish, <laughs> fresh shrimp, fish, and crab. Um, it's a particularly sunny day, and there's a couple of people outside, short sleeves, hats on. I don't know whether these are the proprietors or they just happen to be visitors. They're proprietorial. Um, they're pro- they're pro- But I would, I'd imagine they'd have aprons oh, or yeah. overalls, or yeah. you know, in some sort of fish guts all down. Them. Maybe they're the best um, best customers they they did look very well turned out. I mean the guy on the left is t-shirt's particularly pristine and white. It might be the start of the day before they've they've got into the fishy business. Um and this is a picture taken by a, a New Orleans photographer called Kerry McCafferty. Oh yeah. Um and I bought I bought a whole load of hers last time I was there. So again these have adorned um off various office walls over the years and and I've done a little bit of detective work online. Oh, and, on. and this particular, Broadview Seafood, still exists. It's still in exactly the same place. Oh. This is a shot taken in 1993. Right. Um, it's in the 7th Ward in New Orleans. So it's a, it's a few miles north of downtown in the Gentilly neighbourhood. And I've kind of worked out what it is. I mean, Kerry seemed to take lots of pictures of streets. I mean, New Orleans is, is a dream for photographers because so much is, is happening. So if you're a documentary photographer, a photojournalist... You're there taking pictures, and obviously then realise, hold on, we could, we could, we could, I could sell these, <laughs> and uh, so I think what she's done now, its location, this particular establishment, is just a few blocks from the uh, the fairgrounds racecourse right. in New Orleans. Now I know of this not for uh, for horse racing, but because every year uh, over two weekends. They it's it's the scene of the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Fair ah. which has loads and it was especially big in the late seventies in the seventies and eighties. Um where every musician in New Orleans would play. There'd be loads of stages. Oh, really? Um and they would be, you know, pretty primitive affairs, you know a little bit of scaffolding some planks so everyone is really close to it so you and the sh- the photography of that particular event is astonishing because you get especially the sort of stuff in the 70s you get these very era specific people in the crowd who are right there you know there's no security guards and then a pit and then a barrier and you know the front row is is 50 yards away everyone is right in the thick of it and the photographers seem to have free range to just get on stage and take pictures of people like, you know, Professor Longhair yes. or the Neville Brothers, wow, you know, wow. or, or loads of Cajun and Zydeco bands. Nice music. Now, I I think Kerry is en route there when she's taken this picture <laughs> um, because it's just a few blocks away. It's right. not a neighbourhood you would go oh, to I see. to go and take some pictures. You, you would say around the French Quarter if you wanted to take some tasty pictures to stick on a postcard to sell to, to, uh, to tourists. So I think she's just walked along here, Seen these two guys outside, possibly having a smoke before they get stuck into the fish guts. Um, just taking their picture. They've probably thought nothing more of it. She's looked back at her negatives in the dark room. Oh yeah, this 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 could make a good photo, good postcard. Sold it, and then you know, thirty years later, three people are talking on a thing called a podcast. <laughs> Who knows whether these guys still win? Who knows whether you know. Other than this quick five-second shot, as Kerry then walked on up up to go and see all the music, um, would would be there in my hand in rural Somerset
1: thirty years later, frozen frozen in time. The fish, the shrimp, the shrimp was fresh, and the picture is frozen.
2: The only yeah, sad, yes, the only sad good. thing is, it says boiled crab and live. Is, is it boiled crab and live crab? Live crayfish. Oh, crayfish! Because if you're a literate crayfish, you knew what was coming. <laughs> and <laughs> that's sad. You, was you, so look cruel. At, you,
0: you look across the kitchen and go, oh, <laughs> oh. If that's the noise crayfish make. And uh, but, um, shrimp is what
1: we'd call prawn, isn't it?
0: Because it's bigger. Yes, it's, yeah. that's right. But yeah, crayfish yeah. is crayfish. It's a big thing. Now this is this is particular I mean there there is a little bit of personal uh significance to this because I bought this when I went we went there I wife went there in nineteen ninety six um for sort of three weeks, big three week wow, trip to New good. Orleans and southern Louisiana, you know, that's this nice. is you know, pre-kids when mortgages were low and you had a thing called disposable income. Amazing. <laughs> um and this was the occasion that I last ate any any flesh. Oh, I see. Oh, well, so you were put um, off by
1: the live crayfish sign.
0: I wasn't put off. I uh, Jane's been vegetarian for a long time before that. Since she was she was a kid, we did what is eating vegetarian. But I said, look, I'll, I'll give it up once I've gone and had a, another Cajun chicken <laughs> poor boy sandwich, um, which I did. I remember that last one, oh. and then in the whatever. Well, now twenty six years later, yes, not. No crayfish, boiled or live, has passed on my lips. Very good, very good. Well, I think uh,
1: you've got a sort of memorial then here.
0: Absolutely, yeah. What could have been, but you know, I'm, I've never been one for seafood, and I, 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 I wouldn't like the smell of that place. I have to say, <laughs> it's not, it's not alluring. The, the fruits of the sea, yeah, no, not yes. for me, thanks. No. Oh well, I think
1: it's it's a it's a nice card, and it, it's a particular genre, the sort of art art photograph card. So it's still a tourist postcard, clearly for for visitors like you. But but it also has a kind of consciously artistic feel to it.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's good. You know, you, if you buy a postcard of a place, you know, you'll know it's it's a beach or it's quartered, and there's various different different uh, shots from from a particular town or city. So I just love this snapshot, and the th- fact it's got people in it as well. You know, it's not somewhere tourists would go. You no. know, it's not it's not a quaint um, French quarter townhouse. It's just a rough wooden building. It's got a bit of a balcony there. But it's adorned, you know. It's got paint. All, all, all their their menu is effectively large white paint on their windows. You know, it's, it's signage it's is definitely it's functional, isn't it? It's functional. Fun, <laughs> functional is everything about this. You know, it's it's alluring. If you're just hungry and you like the word crayfish yeah. about three foot high, then, then yeah. this place is for you. Well,
1: I'm a great believer in clarity in advertising. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Absolutely, Don't muck yeah. about. Keep it simple. What's the product? Tell me what the product is. There it is. Very good. So, Gail, what's the final postcard you've got for us? I I recognise this woman.
2: Yes, it's a photo of... It's a postcard of the Queen Ah. from the mid-'70s, and lovely though the postcard is. This postcard has been driving me crazy ever since then. I'm sorry to hear that. Yes, and this has brought it all up again, just (laughs) as I managed to forget. Now, it's a postcard uh, that was postmarked from London... WC, so Centre of London, at 9.15 p.m., which might or might not be a clue. And I have no idea. This is obviously from someone who's known me well, (laughs) Uh, but it's anonymous. I can Uh read it out. Uh, dear Miss Renard, we were delighted to hear that you're going to give us more jolly doctors. Make them public school wallers if you can. We had a word with humph, you know. So did Phil. So happy that a colonial is doing so jolly well. Tally ho, old sport. Uh, from your your own, your very own, question mark, love to you, friend. Now, I have no idea. I have clues.
1: Did, did you know at the
2: time? No. Never know. You didn't even know then. No, and this wasn't long. Could be a police matter. (laughs) It wasn't long since. I mean, I was in Britain. Uh, I was very, very lucky because one of the first things I wrote was uh, I got on when I was twenty to the. Uh, the London Weekend Doctor series, the Doctor okay. that had started as Doctor in Charge, and I joined it, a Doctor in the House, and I joined it right, with, right. by Doctor in Charge. Yes. Now, this person, and so I had a group of friends, and also, she said, name dropping, I was in a performance, I would perform, write a performance group, uh, review group with Douglas Adams. Okay, And two, wow. two wow. other lovely chaps. And, and I thought. This narrows it down to my flatmate, who was an actress, right. to the people, in the, the, the three guys in my review group. I was close to the Py- Monty Pythons, uh, and it was process of elimination. It is not the handwriting of any of the Pythons, because no. I knew that ha- okay. I have postcards from them, knew it well. Uh, I thought it might be someone from the review side, and I can never find out, and I showed it to friends, and I was meeting with one of the chaps fr- from the review group. Dear friend, we were having lunch, and I just found the card again. And I thought, I will take it along. I will catch him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally. Uh, yes. And over lunch, I passed him the card, hoping to see a glimmer in his eye that went, ah. And I said, do you recognize this? And he went, no, and went on eating. Oh. And I thought... And it's driving me- – they it, they knew my address. They'd obviously been to the house, my old address, because they had the name of the house as well as the it's address. It's writing. It is. Uh, they knew about Humph, who was Humphrey Barclay, who was the producer of Doctor. Right, right. They knew about Phil, which is my friend Phil Redmond. Okay. Uh, who I wrote the pilot of doc- the Doctor at Sea series with. Right. Uh, so there are lots of – it's not Phil's handwriting. <laughs> Postmarked. Middle of London, at nine fifteen. Now, had it been my flatmate, Malud, Christine was in a, she was in a little night music, but at nine fifteen she would have been on stage, or if oh. there would have been. Oh, but it would only be.
1: You wouldn't. It, it would be still stamped. have gone to the letterbox at that time. Yes. No, got,
2: But she was never that organised, and she never bought a stamp in her life, so Ah. she would have had to ask me for one. It sounds like a writer to me, the the mucking about
1: bit of it. It feels like someone's mucking about.
2: But it's driven me crazy (laughs) that I still, after all these years, I am putting it in my next book because maybe someone will recognise it. I even thought, let me double-check Douglas's handwriting, which is easy to do because he signed so many things, and go... It's not Douglas. No. So, and I don't know, it was probably too, too much energy for yeah. Douglas. Um, God bless him. So it's... it. You can see it bothers me. Well, it's, it, it's not an
1: actor, because <laughs> he's saying, make them public school wallers. Yes. So there's an actor who, who, who could play the public school part. And if you make them public, he might get a part. I didn't... Mm. Yeah, Come, that's actor-comedian, huh? Hey?
2: I didn't really, yeah... I, I associate. it sounds terrible. We were r- comedy writer-performers, but yeah. not actors. Yeah, oh, I see. So, uh, if anybody, if that rings a bell, or if you want to confess, please get in touch with Tom.
1: Well, exactly. Now, people can absolutely get in touch via the blog, uh, uk, and they send me the information, and then I will sell that information <laughs> to Gail at a large fee. <laughs> it seems to be very fair to me. So yes, it seems fair. We, we can we <laughs> come there's no reason why we can't make that work. Well, it, 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 it intrigues me because I spend a lot of time going through boxes of old cards where I have no idea who's written them. I have clues. I, I normally know who they're sent to, because there's an address on but don't really know who they're from. But that's because they've come to me via a circuitous route. They've, they've been at people's attics. They've found their way into cardboard boxes and found their way to me. No wonder they've sort of had their provenance fallen off them over time. But this has come straight to you and it's a mystery from the and word never go. i know.
2: never known, and showed it to friends and all the rest, and still it will continue to drive me crazy.
1: I, f- I feel like I've sort of got unfinished business today now, because <laughs> everything else... Uh, you know, Nige in his classically nicely written style has tied everything up with a bow, it made perfect sense, I understood the story, and you leave me this with this dangling, life, dangling. L-
2: life is never neat, Tom. No,
1: no, no. But you didn't have to come here and remind me of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I I love it. I love a mystery. Mysteries are better than solutions normally, so I think that's that's very good. And especially, as, you know, the, the Beetle stuff is such a perfect story that 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 that, that is crystallised in the past, and then you leave this as a, as a vibrating uh, confusion. Very good. Thank you. Thank you both, and thank you both. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you, Gail for for these cards because you know you've done your homework. You you've prepared something for us for the listeners. It's really kind of you. Um, I I said the same thing, I never know where the cards will send us. Um, Another quick reminder for listeners at home, you can see these cards, um, and I think in in Gail's case, we might get the message side as well um, on the blog, postgraphinthepast.co.uk. Now, before we let Gail out of the studio and Nigel back to his writing room, um, we normally end the show with with, with one of these. Um, Gail's in the studio, so she gets to see it. Um, Here, have a look at this one.
2: Ah. Oh. So if you could tell us, t- tell the tell the listener what you got there. It's a oh, it's German. Uh, it's a phonoscope, which is la, in French, la carte musicale or Die tundelin uh, <laughs> auschnitt card, which is basically a record card um, that you you could put on your gramophone in this case. And it's oh my, this I would love to hear this. It's uh, fr- it's disc normal. 45 tours, Alexander's Ragtime Band. I don't
1: think it's very disc normal, but anyway, it says no. it's disc normal.
2: Oh, this is wonderful. Where did you find it?
1: Oh, well, I couldn't possibly reveal that. It was sent to me by an anonymous person, possibly <laughs> Douglas Adams. <laughs> well, young, young Tom next door has, has worked hard with this, and I think he's created a digital version. Wow. Which, if we listen carefully, we may be able to hear what this piece of cardboard sounds like crackly, mainly. <laughs> There you go. Brilliant.
2: It's not bad, is it? That, I mean, that's much better than I thought a postcard would be.
1: I think it's good for a piece of cardboard. Mm. I mean, it's shiny cardboard, but... But not as good as a Beatles flexi-disc. No, and not a million miles away in terms no. of technology. Um, and that flexi-disc... It's... it's, it's... It's a forebear of the C86 cassette as well. There you go, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely played.
2: Now, go find the people who did it, Nigel.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I do know that the, the the people on these records are always anonymous, the performers. They don't seem to... I don't think it was a great part of your career to record stuff for a postcard, to be honest. But um, you don't get a credit like you got on your on your um, crayfish postcard as a photographer. Yeah.
0: Audible postcards, though. That's the future, surely.
1: Yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah, we could call them phone calls. No, hang on.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, there we go. As um, the the lake and the pre Alps at uh, Lugano continues to rotate at exactly 45 RPM. That's it on this time for Podcasts from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Nigel Tassel and Gail Renard. Thank you both.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
1: And thank you for listening. Bye for now. more postcards with their messages posted every day on twitter do follow me at past postcard and you can buy the book postcard from the past by me tom jackson at amazon and all good booksellers and if you're looking for podcast production check out WardorStudios.co.uk.